are there anybody in the room that is competitive? Would you consider yourself competitive? Anybody? All right, there are a few of you folks. All right, is there anybody that likes to win? Anybody like to lose? Ah, nothing there. All right, that's good. Uh, most of us don't like to lose, all right? It does happen at times in our life where we do. Um, and yet, uh, most people like to win. Uh, I'm a sports guy. I love to win. I love when my teams win um, and cry a little bit inside when they don't. Um, but uh, I enjoy winning. And I mean, Paul even says, we run the race as if to what? To win the prize, right? So there's this end goal. You want to win. Um, now, I will say this. Uh, unfortunately, at my house, I don't win things very often, win at things very often. Um, and so... Uh, some of you already knew where I was going with that, and that's fine. Uh, see, I'm, I'm somebody who, uh, who married up, and so as a result of that, uh, she's good at everything, my wife, and so I lose pretty much everything that I do. And um, sometimes the crying's not on the inside when that happens. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Sometimes my attitude's not the greatest, all right? But nonetheless, so... Um, we all like uh, to win, and in the passage we're going to look at today, we see that Paul has his eyes set on winning. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Paul connects winning to being on mission in this passage. And so uh, what I want to open with uh, is, is another question. This one's more of a trick question, though, is how many of you are on mission today? That's the question. All right? All right. If every hand in the room isn't up, then I tricked you, Okay. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're on mission each and every day. That's how we're called to live. So today, you're on mission. The next day, you're on mission. The day after that, you're on mission. You understand the idea. I'm not going to keep going past that, all right? But that's the idea there. And so the question becomes, what is the mission? And that's what we find in Matthew 28 in the passage that we would refer to as the Great Commission, right? Uh, where we are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, <clears throat> teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded us. In Acts 1.8, it tells us where we're called to live out this commission, to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so we're given this mission to make disciples everywhere. Now, you've heard here over the last couple of months uh, about, I already mentioned this, about El Salvador, about Fort Knox, about Wheelwright. You've heard about these things. And yet we're also called to be on mission right here, right where we are. And so today I thought I'd speak on a little lesser known passage on being on mission. And we'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. So go ahead and turn there uh, if you've got your Bibles and you haven't already. Uh, and follow along with me uh, as I read. And you'll figure out how Paul connects winning to the mission here as we read. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to honor you with our time this morning. We thank you that your word um, is exactly what we need each and every moment of every day, and that every word in it is true. And so, 
God, I just ask that you would do what you need to do today in the hearts of your people. Um, God, that you would pierce hearts where they need to be pierced, that you would challenge where people need to be challenged, that you would encourage where people need to be encouraged. And God, that you would use me to speak your truth and your truth alone. It's in your name I pray. Amen. And so there appears to be a theme in that set of verses, if you didn't figure it out, as Paul repeatedly uses the phrase, to win. Did you catch that? And so I've entitled the message this morning, A Winning Strategy. So within this passage, Paul gives us a strategy for winning people to Christ, is what he does. And so to offer a little bit of context, in the verses right before this that we didn't read, all right, Paul challenges other teachers and Paul gives up his rights. And see, one of the rights uh, was that there were folks that would go and they would teach on the streets or in, on street corners, but people would have to pay them. So you didn't pay them, you couldn't hear the message. And so Paul had the right to be able to do that, to go out on the streets, to teach this message, and to charge them money for it. But Paul gave up that right. Why did Paul give up that right? Because Paul understood that the message was so important that everybody needed to hear it, not just the people that could afford it. Okay? And so he gives up this right to be paid to give this message on the street because he understands the value of the gospel, and he understands the audience of the gospel, which is everyone. And so that's what Paul does right before this. He gives up this right that he has. And so with that, this takes us straight into the first part of this strategy that Paul offers, all right? And so the first part of this strategy we find in verse 19 and in what I just said before that, and that's that Paul uh, suggests that this, this process starts with an attitude of selflessness, okay? And so in verse 19, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. See, when it says that he's free from all, Paul is saying that he was born free. He was a citizen of Rome. Paul was in bondage to no one. He was under nobody's control, and yet he made himself a servant to all that he might gain more. He behaved as a servant. He labored for the good of others as a servant. Paul acted in many cases as if he had no privileges, and this is that he might gain more and make more converts to Christ. See, he made himself a servant that they might be made free. Paul is following the example of Jesus. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says that the Son of Man, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so over and over, we see Paul uh, throughout his writings say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And so here, even here, when he says he's becoming a servant, he's imitating Christ. He's giving us this example, and so he gives up his rights to be free. He gives up uh, his rights to seek pay and to live as he desired in the comfort that he would have enjoyed in order to win some to Christ. See, when we become a servant of all, it changes our mindset. And when we become selfless, it gives our message credibility. So if we're going to share the gospel with somebody, but all they see in us is selfishness and pride, they're not going to be as open to receiving that message because they don't really believe that you mean it because you ain't living it. And so when we have this selfless attitude, it gives credibility to our witness of the gospel. Just as Paul gave up his right to pay in the verses before, he really gave up his previous life altogether, right? Even though that meant, for Paul, that meant the very persecution that he was dishing out to the church, he was now going to be the one receiving. Did you ever catch that flip? He went from being the persecutor to the persecuted by coming and giving his life to Christ. And yet God transformed his heart into one that went from being selfish to being selfless. So the challenge is this. 
And the question I have that I want to wrap this particular point up with is this. What are you willing to give up, or what am I willing to give up or to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to give up? What am I willing to give up? Are we willing to give up our comfort? Comfort is an idol, y'all. Whether you believe that or not, it's true, and it exists in the church, even though it shouldn't. You willing to give up your comfort? Willing to give up money, finances that we may have that we could use for the good of others? What rights are we willing to give up? Because we live in a nation that is so built on, oh, well, I have the right to do this. I have the right to do this. Jesus gave up all his rights. Paul's giving up his rights. What rights are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give up our status or our position for the sake of the gospel? For Paul, he was willing to give it all up just as Jesus did. To win others to Christ takes an attitude of selflessness. The second part of this strategy we find in verses 20 through 22, all right? And it's a willingness to adapt or engage with all cultures, all right? And so we start off in verse uh, 20, and as we get there, I just want to remind you, Paul doesn't come in intentionally trying to offend people, okay? He's not intentionally trying to offend people. He doesn't walk into every conversation being like, I wonder how I can offend this person today. Uh, that's not what Paul does. However, the message of the gospel can be offensive to some people. And so you'll find that to be true the more often you share the gospel with people. Some will be offended by the message of Jesus. But Paul is still coming in trying to reach every group of people for Jesus. Now every culture does things just a little bit differently. Some things that might be normal for culture in America are going to be different in other areas. Some things that might be unacceptable uh, or, or acceptable here might be unacceptable in other cultures. Some things that we find good or encouraging may be found offensive by someone of a different culture. But we have to be willing to adapt. What I'm not saying is give in to the same sinful habits as the culture you're surrounded by. That's what I'm not saying. That's not biblical at all. We're not called to give in to those habits that are in the culture that surrounds us. However, we are called to share the gospel with the people that are in the culture that surrounds us. And so to learn about the cultures of folks that are different than you is what I'm asking. See, many Christians aren't comfortable sharing the gospel. Maybe that's some of you in this room, not even comfortable sharing it, not comfortable even talking about it. And yet, I think for many of us, when we do share the gospel, we find it easier to share with folks that look like us or have the same background as us. I find that to be a little bit easier than sharing it with somebody that's completely different. And yet, here we're given in these verses that we're about to get to the idea that we got to share with everyone. And so here's what he does in verse 20. It says that Paul engaged with those that were like him, the Jewish people. So in verse 20, uh, it says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. And so Paul himself uh, was a Jew. And so because of his faith in Christ, he no longer relied on Jewish customs to save him, but on Jesus. So he wasn't bound to the ceremonial law because Christ took that away. But to win the Jews, he would still practice some of those customs because it wasn't sinful. And it gave him access to sharing the gospel with the Jews. It was something they had in common. And so he was familiar with it as something he used to practice. And so Paul, as a Jew, shared the gospel with the Jews in order that he might win some. He became like them. It also says, under, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. And so many believe that this is also a reference to the Jews, that it's most likely referring to the Mosaic law, which Paul was no longer under as he was under the law of Christ. And so Paul relates to those that he's familiar with, 
those that were most like him culturally is what he does. So he starts off with this, this idea of being a servant and being selfless, and then he starts talking about who is he going to use that for? Who is he going to be serving? Who is he trying to reach? And he starts off by talking about reaching his own folks, the folks that he grew up being like. He had the same background. He grew up learning uh, the, the scriptures and things the same way that the rest of the Jewish folks did. And so he engaged with them. But then Paul also engaged with those that were not like him. See, Paul engaged with the Gentiles and people of other cultures and other differences. In verse 21, Paul says, to those outside the law, I became like those outside the law. And so here Paul is referencing the Gentile people. He would reason with the philosophers in, of, of that place and in that time in their way. He would engage in innocent activities with them. And when the Gentiles, uh, with the Gentiles, he behaved as though he wasn't under the Jewish law. But he was still showing self-control. He was still showing discernment. And he was finding ways to connect with those folks. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, um, God says Paul is his chosen instrument to the Gentiles. So Paul has a specific group of people that he's supposed to be targeting, and that's the Gentiles. And so God doesn't say, don't speak to anybody but Gentiles. He doesn't say that. And so Paul's goal is to share with everyone, but he is a specific instrument to the Gentiles. And so while he was with them, he found things in common with them that would open the door for him to share the gospel with them. And then in verse 22, it says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And so there were other groups that were around there. And what many believe that it's talking about with the weak is those that are um, maybe uh, not as intelligent, I suppose, that there were certain people that had superior knowledge that would walk around acting like they had superior knowledge. And then there were other folks um, that were weak in their knowledge. And so instead of being high and mighty and speaking down to people, because that's not what Paul desired to do, he spoke as one of them to help them understand. And he sought to make the gospel clear to those that were weaker in understanding. And then he says, I became all things to all people that I might win some. See, with his selfless attitude, he sacrificed. He gave up different things at different times in order to engage people of different cultures with the gospel. He understood that all people need the gospel. There was no group of people that Paul wasn't eager and willing to engage for the sake of the gospel. But I will tell you this, by becoming like these different types of people, he never lost track of who he was following, what law he was under, and he also didn't become like them in their sin. Paul did not do those things. See, currently, the common bond of every unbeliever is that we're all sinners. When we receive Christ, the common bond becomes that we're now brothers and sisters in Christ. And he unites us and he joins us together. And now I did a little research with you all, or, or, with you all in mind, okay? Um, which I'm sure is what you want to hear from the guy in the pulpit that he did research, right? Um, so, uh, I did a little bit, because Christ calls us to serve all, and he calls us to share him with those that we're familiar with, as well as those that are different than us. And I will say this, it doesn't always mean ethnically different. People can be different in other ways. It can be different, a different socioeconomic class, or could be different in status for whatever reasons. But uh, in this particular research, I was looking at the eth ethnic uh, division, and here's what it is. Uh, as of the year 2020, the city of Hazelwood, the community that this church is planted in, 51% Caucasian, 40% African American, and 9% a mix of other ethnic groups. 
Here's what that means. Half of the people that are here are going to be people that are more like you than the other half of the people. You're not called to only share the gospel with half. I'm not called to share with only half. I'm called to share with everyone. I'm also aware that we have a lot of folks from the St. Charles side of the river, so let me offer some numbers for you. Yours look a little different. All right, as of 2020, out in St. Charles, 85% Caucasian, 6% African American, 9% other ethnicities. And the further west you go, it stays pretty similar, maybe even goes a little bit further in the direction of more Caucasian. See, we can have different backgrounds in all sorts of ways. But even the people in this own community, we're called to reach. And that means that we're going to have to step out of our comfort zones, sometimes to reach the people that are like us, and sometimes to reach the people that aren't like us. I love that multiple people in that testimony video talked about coming out of their comfort zone. Because as a church, that's what we're going to have to do. If y'all want to reach the community that this church is a part of, if we want to be the light in this community that we're called to be, that's what we have to do. It's going to make some of us uncomfortable. And we're going to have to get past that in order to be obedient. And so I'd like to offer a couple of simple suggestions. All right? So how can you and I adapt to the culture of the groups that don't look like us? No matter what that means, that might be financial, it might be ethnic, it might be something else altogether in order to reach them for the gospel. Begin building relationships with other people. People that you don't know very well right now. People that are like you and not like you. Begin building relationships. Ask them to tell you their story. You'll be surprised at the number of people that are willing to open up and tell you their entire life history just because you asked them a question. People are willing. As a matter of fact, James pointed out how lonely some folks are and just the fact that people just want somebody to talk to sometimes. If we really desire it, all we got to do is ask. Just ask folks. And then find that common link because as you listen to their story, you're going to find something you probably have in common with that person. And you'll be able to connect with them on a better basis and gain that opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, and so uh, with that, I'm going to ask Daryl to come up. Um, he's going to share a little bit about his experience and just some things uh, from our trip to Wheelwright. Uh, to some degree as it relates to ministering to folks with a slightly different background than we have. Guys, I enjoyed going to, to this mission trip here. I've gone to a lot of them, but uh, this one was uh, incredible. Uh, one of the things I liked about this, uh, this mission trip is uh, Bubba and Tammy are fantastic. They are great, great leaders. Um, Bubba talked uh, on the first day about James 1, about counting everything uh, all joy. Uh, counting everything all joy. In other words, uh, no matter what happens in your life, count it as joy because God's got something else for you, you know. And uh, as we're walking through this neighborhood, they don't live in houses like we live in. They live in like, almost like row houses. But I mean, houses, just like Ethan said on his testimony, that they're, they're glued together, basically. It's like plywood holding up a, a roof. I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable that people live this way in our nation, you know, and we allow it. I mean, up in the mountains, it's a different story. It's a different culture, you know. These people have been up there for uh, generation after generation after generation and live still in these little, I would say, cracker back uh, cardboard boxes, you know, 
that we would think would not be in this country at all. Uh, if you've never been uh, to a uh, uh, third world nation, you know, um, you might not understand it or you've never seen it on TV. But I mean, it's, it, it's hard to believe that it's in our nation. And this, this, uh, this town used to be 50 years ago, one of the nicest places to live in the United States. They were one of the first places to have a, a bowling alley in their town, uh, the Olympic-sized pool, you know, and, and it, was, uh, it was a strong, strong town. And now it's, it's, it's nothing. I mean, there's, right now there's like 434 people that live there. The average income is 22000 a year, okay? 22000 a year. Now, I don't know anybody that can live off of that 22000 a year, but they manage, and they still have joy in their hearts. So it's not what you have that, make, that gives you that joy. And, and they still have faith. And every time you, we walk through the neighborhood, Darren and I, uh, after dinner, we'd walk through the neighborhood and just talk to people. And they're sitting out on the porches all the way down this road, you know, just sitting out on the porches and just waiting for somebody to come talk to them, you know, so that they could share their testimony with them uh, or that we could share our testimony with them. You know, they were so open to everything. Uh, it was unbelievable. And I wish we could do this in our area. Actually, I think we can do this in our area, you know. Um, as Drew was talking about the, the different uh, cultures that we have, uh, the different people that we have. We have uh, uh, ethnic groups, okay. Well, their numbers are a little bit different. There's 98% white, 2% African-American, okay. Nothing else there. So, like I said, it doesn't matter. We're all the same. We're supposed to be all the same body, okay? We've got to treat people all the same. Not only that, we need to start reaching out. As a church, well, let me, let me go this way. I, I've been in youth for a, a long time, actually probably 20 years in different churches, okay? And as a church, the church falls short, the youth are standing up and trying to reach out to people. We need our church to stand up and start reaching out to our neighborhoods. We need to do it as a body of Christ, you know, because God's asking us to. The Holy Spirit is guiding us to want us to reach out. We don't have to go, like, like Christian said, nine hours away. There are people in this neighborhood right here that need our help. And all we have to do it stand out here. I go by, uh, I, I drive down Graham Road to go to work every day, and every Tuesday, there is somebody out there saying, drive through prayer, okay? Drive through prayer at one of the churches, Crossroads, right over here, or Crosswinds, okay? They're sitting out there on the road asking, come on in, drive through, because they know prayer works, okay? What are we doing? What are we doing? We're reaching out all over but we need to do it here too, okay? The Holy Spirit is guiding us. We all, and we all fall short no matter what, you know, but we can do better as a church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, 
security in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I have preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth, lived a human life as we do, but he lived it perfectly like we don't. <clears throat> that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day to be the Christ for our sins and restore a right relationship with God. And all we have to do is believe on the name of Jesus to be saved. That's the message of the gospel. That Jesus came to save us from something we could never save ourselves from. So this message of the gospel, this good news, is Paul's driving force behind all that he does. Behind every interaction he has with folks. He's centered on the gospel. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I give up my rights and live selflessly for the gospel. I connect with people on their term, in their terms for the gospel. That's what Paul was all about. It didn't matter who the person was. It didn't matter if they were a Jew or a Gentile. A person that was thought to have superior knowledge or not. Paul recognized their need for the gospel and sacrificed whatever he had to, short of sinning against God, to reach them for Jesus. Listen to Paul's repetitive language here. In order to win the Jews, to win those under the law, to win those outside of the law, to win the weak, that by all means I might save some. Notice he changed it to save instead of win on that last attempt. And of course in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. What's he winning these people to? He's winning them to Jesus. He's focused on the gospel. He's winning them to Jesus. And this message that he's delivering as he tries to win all folks to the gospel is a new message. Before, only the Jews were a part of God's covenant people. And yet through Jesus' shed blood, he opens that opportunity for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. It was a change. And for him to be speaking to this church about how the gospel is for everyone is a radical shift from the times before Christ. See, G, uh, Paul even uses the phrase that he tries to win by all means. In other words, Paul wants to win at all costs. You know anybody who wants to win at all costs? Sometimes it causes us to do some pretty crazy stuff. I'm not calling people out for cheating in board games and stuff, but I am saying it happens, all right? Like, it doesn't matter. I got to come out on top, even if that's what it takes. And Paul here is by all means, all right, without sin, by all means, he wants to come out on top. He wants to win. But there's another side to this coin, See, if Paul is trying to win, that means he's in a competition. Did you catch that? There's a flip side to this. If he's trying to win, it means there's somebody else trying to win too. And so Paul here is trying to win people to Christ. See, we're in a spiritual battle. And as we share the gospel of Jesus with folks and pray that the Spirit draws them in and reveals God to them, Satan is trying to do the same thing to win people to his kingdom. But Scripture tells us we're either a part of the kingdom of Satan or a part of the kingdom of God. And so what that means is that all of us before Christ are already a part of Satan's kingdom. So he's trying to retain you. He's trying to keep you or me or whoever. 
and trying to keep us in his kingdom. And so what Paul is saying here as he closes this out is that the power of the gospel is stronger than the pull of Satan. That Jesus gives us victory over evil, over sin, over Satan, and over death through the work on the cross. And so as we focus on the message of the gospel, we seek to share it with the lost. We need not fear because the God we serve and the message of the gospel has power that is second to none. So you and I as believers are already victorious over the enemy because of Jesus. And so Paul focuses on the gospel in order to win everyone. And I want to share a, a personal story with you, uh, at least to some degree. Um, uh, many of you, most of you in this room know that uh, I have a son, and so uh, Elijah is nine, all right? Um, I know, it's always fun to talk about your kids when you're up here with the mic. Um, they can't stop you, so it's fun. Um, and so uh, Elijah's nine. Elijah, at this point in time, um, hasn't made a profession of faith yet, okay? But I will say this. He knows that Jesus is important. He gets that. As a matter of fact, he asks things about that all the time. So I told you we're, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a big Cardinals fan. And so Elijah has gained that from me, uh, that he's also a big Cardinals fan. And so he'll ask me things all the time like this. Daddy, do you think Paul Goldschmidt knows about Jesus? Okay, that's a good, that's a good question, son. Why do you ask that? Well, that song that they play when he walks up to bed is a song that I hear on the radio. All right. Yeah. My son pays attention more than I give him credit for. All right. And so he watches these things and he asks questions like this all the time. As a matter of fact, we went to a Cardinal game shortly uh, before uh, we went on this mission trip. And it, we went for Elijah's birthday and we had one extra ticket. Elijah wasn't allowed to invite one of his friends. And so he chose one of his friends from his baseball team um, that really doesn't, uh, I, I would suggest, probably doesn't know much about Jesus. And so we're in the car on the way to the game. And Elijah, he looks at his friend, and he's like, hey, I've got a question for you. But then he stops, and he kind of, like, looks at me, like, Dad, you going to rescue me on this one? <laughs> like, no, no, you keep going, son, you keep going. And so he looks at his friend, and he was like, have you heard of Jesus? Like, do you know about Jesus? Now, here's the thing. Elijah doesn't know uh, enough to take the conversation. He doesn't know where to take the conversation from that point, <laughs> all right? So he hears the answer, but he doesn't really know where to go from there. But what he does understand is that Jesus is important. And what he does understand, even in something like that, when he's asking someone if they've heard of Jesus or do you know about Jesus, is he showing a focus on the gospel whether he understands it or not. Even as a nine-year-old. He still does the same. Like yesterday, he's like, Dad, can you talk about Jesus or can you learn about Jesus in Japan? Like he's learning that there are countries where it's not okay to speak the name of Jesus, and he's asking me if these where these countries are. He's, he's focused on, on Jesus and on the gospel. Paul ends verse 23 by saying that I may share with them in its blessings. Could you imagine having something so good that it's unmatched by anything else? Something that is so far greater than anything the world has to offer, but then keeping it to yourself. That's what Paul's like, I want to share these blessings. I'm not keeping them all to myself. Why wouldn't you or I want to share it with someone? Maybe we say, well, they're messed up, they don't deserve it. Well, guess what? You and I are messed up and we don't deserve it either. 
There's no reason, there's no excuse. No matter the person, we should desire to share in the blessing of salvation with them. And if we've experienced these blessings, why wouldn't we want someone else to experience them as well? And so Paul gives us this blueprint, and it starts with the Great Commission, that you and I all have the same mission, to go and to make disciples. And so Paul offers us this strategy. It starts with our attitude, this attitude of selflessness, of laying down our rights, of serving other people. It continues on by saying, now what am I going to do with this service? Now that I've laid down my rights, what am I going to do? Who is my audience? Who am I going to go to? And he's like, I'm going to talk to those people that are just like me and those people that are nothing like me. And then even further, what enables him to do this? What enables him to have these conversations to continue on is by keeping his eyes focused on Jesus, by keeping his eyes focused on the gospel. It's central to who we are. And so as I finish, I want to let you know something today, all right? As amazing as it is to hear what God did through Hazelwood Baptist Church in El Salvador and Kentucky, we need to be about this community in Hazelwood. We have, we have some good things we do as a church. We have lifelines. We have food pantry. We have some of these things that are great ministries for our church that help connect us to the community. But without trying to build relationships daily with those in the community that we live in, we've missed the mark. You see, Jesus went out to the people. Yes, he always had people following him. Can you imagine that, having a crowd follow you all the time just to catch you say something in the wrong so that they can call you out for it? That's the life right there, isn't it? That was Jesus all the time. He had people following him everywhere, but Jesus went to the people. He went out into the people. Jesus didn't live his life staying in one house, living in his house, and just expecting the crowds to come to his house. He went to the people, and yet... One of the things that's missing is that. If the only things that we do involve people coming to this church building, then we're only living out part of the mission. See, we're called to be in the community, connecting with the people of the community. You have opportunities to do that with your neighbors and the communities that you live in on your own. Uh, and so I would challenge you that this is a personal thing, but it's also a church-wide thing and so be on the lookout in the future as we seek to, to create opportunities as a church to do this together, as Daryl was talking about, and seek to win folks to Christ from this community and change the dynamic of the community that we live in. So why do we do what we do? Why do we go on mission trips? Why do we minister in our own communities for the sake of the gospel? And I want to remind you of this. Even though in verse 22, Paul says that I might save some, let's not think for a moment that Paul believes he's the one who saves. God is using him to share the message for the purpose of winning souls to Christ, and that's what he desires to do through you and me. So I've got a couple challenges I want to put up for you guys to look at. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm going to wrap up, but there's a couple of challenges and things I want you to give some thought to and that I'm personally going to be continuing to give thought to. What are you willing to give up to live selflessly for the gospel? It takes sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. And that's the example we have to follow. It's going to take sacrifice. What are you willing to give up? What am I willing to give up? Who do you need to engage with that you're not engaging with? And then what do you or I need to do to live a life on mission to win folks to Christ? And if you say you don't feel confident in knowing the message of the gospel, well, one, you missed out on some training we did not too long ago. 
Uh, and two, I would suggest there are plenty of people in this church that could give you some guidance and direction on what to say. But not only that, the Spirit will be present and will guide you and direct you in those conversations. It's not an excuse not to share because you don't think that you can do it. The Spirit will direct. And so I want you to give some thought to those things. And uh, as you do, we're going to close uh, with a uh, prayer and a song here. Um, see, Paul gives us this strategy intentionally for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of Drew. Not the kingdom of every one of you, but the kingdom of God. And it's not optional. It's something every single person in this room is called to do. It's because we're a family, and we do these things together. So be on the lookout for opportunities moving forward for yourself and for the church. Um, so as we close in prayer, give some thought to what God may be speaking to you on. Um, after we get done praying here, I'll be up here if you want to come and talk. Uh, about anything, whether it's about salvation, whether it's about church membership, whether it's about just needing prayer for something, I'll be up here, um, and you're welcome to, to come up and hang out with me or to uh, pray yourself, continue in song, whatever you need this time for. It's a time to reflect on God's word is the purpose of it, so let's use it for that. Uh, God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us exactly what we need when we need it. God, I pray that we're challenged as a church, um, not necessarily to do more, um, but to do right, to obey, to be obedient to what you've called us to do and sharing the gospel to all, all people, God, to people that look like us and that don't, that act like us and those that don't, that live like us and those that don't. God, no one is exempt from the need of the gospel because we're all sinners. God, I pray that you reach us how you need to reach us and that you remind us of your love on a regular basis. In your name I pray, amen.